We are ready to welcome our special guest for this weekend and, and this week, uh, Joseph Morris. Are you ready for some word here? Come on, be open, be quick to respond, be like a sponge. Let's learn, let's grow, let's be stirred up for what God's doing in these last days. Amen. Welcome, Brother Joseph Morris. Come on, give it, give it up. Thank you, buddy. Glad you're here. Bless you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Man, good to see everybody. Glad you came out today. It's wonderful to be back with you. Uh, I love being here at your church. I said it every time. Your pastors are so normal. You have such a normal church. You can invite anybody here, and you know they're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to hear about redemption. And uh, everyone will be pointed to Jesus. If he be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. So I love seeing the backs kicked out over there and extra seats. And I love construction everywhere. You guys got so much going on. It's awesome. Uh, days of great expansion, days of great change. It's just healthy because the Lord's about to come back. We've got to keep, keep moving. Praise the Lord. Uh, I always say that about uh, in a hurry. Yes, last days. Jesus is coming. Come on. So uh, what a wonderful time to be on the earth when you have technology that you can see everything that's happening that God said 2,700 years ago, 2,000 years ago, to be in a little sliver of time when verse after verse after verse after verse is coming to pass. We'll look back on this time and kind of be shocked that we were in it and didn't really kind of see the importance of it. We see some of the importance of it, but right now every nation, every tongue, every kindred is hearing of His glory. Uh, you know, I, I, I think of this because I travel all over, I have a friend that pastors in Iran, pastors about 25 churches by Skype. He's a little Iranian. I love to take pictures with him. He's about this tall. I go, I go Raise it, come stand by me, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, so, but, but think about the technology to pastor churches by Skype. He's had all these death threats and people want to kill him, you know. But Jesus keeps appearing to children all over Iran. And so the gospel is going to Malaysia, going into Europe. I mean, where I preached in this church in France... The pastor got up and said, my mother preached there, I preached there, and my daughter Lauren preached there. Three generations in France. Now listen, 25, 30 years ago, you preached there and people were clipping their nails while you're preaching, bored out of their mind. Could, could care less about the med- I mean, sitting there going, clip, clip, clip. This last year, I preached seven hours on Friday, seven hours on Saturday, and they were mad when you stopped. They were going, you're stopping? I said, yes, I'm stopping. I'm about to pass out. So... <laughs> But, but the hunger there is, is absolutely amazing. So we're all a part of this whole thing where um, God shed his grace on our nation. And look at a young nation sending the gospel all over the world. I hear people go, what's God doing with America? I'll tell you exactly what God's doing with America. You can't sow into all the world not reap in your own land. So we have a wonderful season of reaping. So that means all hands on deck. That means kicking walls out. That means extra parking lots. And I, I am looking forward to the helicopter pad. I say that every year, but I can't wait to see... Maybe, yeah, people dropped off on the roof and put a hole in the roof and swing them down in, pray for them and swing them out, however you got to do it, but uh, uh, the Lord's coming back. So why don't we get into our scriptures and let's look at some stuff today that shows us how close we are to seeing Jesus face to face and and some of the events that lead up to that. So grab your Bibles there and turn to Luke 20, 24, 21, sorry, and uh, we'll start there. And Colleen was not able to come with me. She sends her greetings back from Tulsa. So she's been here a few times and actually did one of your ladies' meetings. I don't know what year that was, but she had a wonderful time with you ladies. And uh, she's taking care of everything on the home front and sends her greetings. But uh, it's just exciting to see what the Lord's doing in Life Church. And I was telling Pastor Mark this earlier, and I may have said it yet this first service, uh, 
I was praying for the church, and, and just you can just sense a, a season of expansion, a season of assignments being fulfilled. You know how you always, the Lord has something for you to do? This is a season for Him to, to renew your assignments and to have fresh grace on those assignments. You know, sometimes you, you feel like you're running in your own energy. You know, we have a heavenly energy, kind of what you probably preached on before you left. There's a heavenly energy in you empowering you to do these things. So, so tap into that. Just go, Lord, help me do this. Whatever your function is or whatever it is, He, he has something for every person in this room to do. There's no one exempt. You know, you think, well, I'll just hang out and hear the Word. Nope, sorry, you're, you're, you're in the army of the Lord. Amen. You enlisted, hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, uh, so it's a, a wonderful season. So let's pray and we'll get right into the Word. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your, for your, your truths that we can look into this book, Lord, and see what Jesus did when he was raised from the dead. Help us walk in the full measure of what you left us, Lord. We thank you for your authority that you've given the church, the name of Jesus that you've given the church, uh, gifts of the Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for uh, harvesting tools in this hour that, that so much needs to be done in a short period of time. So, Father, use every person in this room. Bless their households. Bless their jobs. Bless their children. I thank you for uh, an intensity to walk with God in this hour. Help us, Father, cooperate with you. Help us be your spokespersons in the earth. Every person in this room, Lord, uh, work through them. They'll yield to you and they'll function with you and they'll cooperate with you. And Father, just as the Holy Ghost uses every person, we know Jesus will be broadcast. He'll be lifted up and he'll be made manifest. So we thank you that, Father, help us see Jesus today high and lifted up with his train filling the temple. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everybody said amen. So we get into end-time preaching. You know, I hear people go, why in the world would you want to get into end-time preaching? Well, if we can see how close we are, we make changes. Just like if you're in a football game, I've never seen a quarterback go, don't let me see the, 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 the shot clock, or the, not the shot clock, but the, the, the play clock. I mean, the, uh, I, could you imagine someone going, don't show me that clock. I don't want to see what time it is. No, you see the clock so you know how much you need to hustle. So could you imagine just kind of looking at the clock and analyzing it, going, well, I don't know. And no, the, the, all of the purpose of the end-time preaching is so that we see the finish line and we accelerate. It's not about an escape theology. It's about, wow, we have a lot to do in a short period of time. You know, if you're running a relay race and all of a sudden you, you're the last runner and you see the, the finish line, I've never seen somebody go, is that really the finish line? No, <laughs> you, you know what the finish line looks like. So you, you, you go faster. So we're going to look at some things that show us the finish line for a couple minutes. And then we'll get into some more because the Lord wants to bless you, wants to strengthen you. He wants to encourage you. You know, it's so weird that the, some of the funnest things in the Bible, Lucifer turned them into bad news. Number one, the coming of the Lord. People had a fear about the coming of the Lord. I thought I was going to hear bad news. I'll do an end times conference. First thing, someone will come up to me after. He goes, I was afraid to come. I thought it would be bad news. A couple pastor friends of mine, they say, we're going to have you come. After I came, they go, I was dreading it the whole time, knowing you were going to do end times. And this one pastor down in Florida, she said, it changed my life. I'm happy. I'm joyful. I've never heard end times like that. I said, well, it's because the Lord loves you so much. He wants you excited. Amen. So isn't it sad that one of the coolest things in the Bible got twisted to be bad news? So there is no bad news for us. Let me just say that. If you hear bad news, it's not Bible. Now, I hear people on TV preach things that are scary. Well, they take verses out of context that don't apply to the church. And talking to the church, we find out that we have nothing but wonderful things to look forward to. We're about to see Him face to face. So that produces great joy, great expectation, great excitement. 
I mean, just like when I'm going to see my daughter, when Lauren, she's married, getting ready to have a baby. But when she calls me, I'm so excited to see her. I don't care who I'm talking to. I go, wait a minute, I need to talk to my girl. Well, uh, uh, that's how the Lord is about us. If I feel that way about my daughter, think how he feels about you. He actually is very, very, very excited about seeing you. I think he's almost giddy to the point of like, woo, I'm going to have all my kids together at one time. I mean, just like you are when all your kids come together, you have a, have a gathering, we're about to have a gathering in the sky. We're about to have a gathering where we're caught up to meet Him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So when we get into all this, it just brings excitement, brings joy, and that produces great strength. If you're going to run a race, how many of you, right before your race, go, hey, give me some lettuce, give me a couple of cucumbers, give me a tomato. No, you want some carbs. You want some macaroni? Am I in the right room? Come on. If you're going to run a race, you don't say, Get, pass me the kale bucket. No, you want macaroni. You want something that's going to sustain you at the end of the race. So the Lord wants to bless you and wants to strengthen you. So grab your Bibles there and turn to Luke 21, if you would. And let's start with verse 24. Jesus is going to give us a few uh, uh, insights here that are uh, flawless that are exact, that are very precise. There's no wiggle room to them. They're very easy to understand. So Luke 21, verse 24, he says here, And they'll fall by the edge of the sword, verse 24, and shall be led away captive unto all nations. <coughs> and Jerusalem shall be trodden down and overthrown of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's pretty wild that he said, Hey, when you see Jerusalem one back, time is up. How crazy is that? That one event, he said, basically you could tell time was up. So what happened in 1967, Jerusalem was won back. What an amazing thing that in the Six-Day War, Israel got Jerusalem back. So, man, all the people, the Pentecostals always got excited in 1948 when Israel was made a nation. But, man, when all of a sudden Jerusalem's won back, this is it. Well, how cool that the miracles that happened, uh, you know, to, to get that done. I was in Israel last year and talked about the Saudi Arabian newspaper that said we still don't understand how Israel won the Six-Day War, and they attributed it to those men dressed in white on the front of the tanks. They're called angels. <laughs> because God intervened and got Jerusalem back. So in our lifetime, we've seen something radical happen uh, that points to the coming of the Lord. Because remember, if you live east of Jerusalem, actually if you live west of Jerusalem, you read left to right. If you live east of Jerusalem, you read right to left. Everything revolves around Jerusalem. It is amazing that the Bible said Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling for all nations. I talked about it earlier. If, you, if you're in Jerusalem, you can go up on the Temple Mount where, where Jesus is going to reign forever. And there's flies everywhere. <laughs> Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Lucifer wants that spot. And so it's bizarre. You can, you can go to Israel and you don't even need a tour guide. The devil's so stupid he puts a mosque everywhere Jesus did something cool. There's a mosque over there. What happened? That's where Jesus was raised from the dead. There's a mosque over there. That's where Jesus' ascension was. It's just bizarre. The devil thinks he can hide it, and all he does is enhance it. So you don't even need anybody to tell you where something cool happened. You go, something cool must have happened right there. You can go up on the Dome of the Rock and on the Temple Mount, and in Arabic it says in a circle. You go in there, it says, there is no Son of God. There is no Son of God. Because there is a Son of God, His name's Jesus, and He gave His life for us. Amen. So you're watching this battle for a location that, that got won in your lifetime. It got won back by the Jews. So watch Jesus give us even more information to make it easier to understand. Look at verse 29. He says here in verse 29, look at the fig tree, that's the nation of Israel. And all the trees, that's the prophetic nations around Israel. It says, when they now shoot forth or bud, you see and know of your own selves that summer or harvest is nigh at hand. I like this word likewise, in the same manner. Just like <coughs> I live in Tulsa, and man, it's brown. The grass is brown. The trees are brown. 
Because it's wintertime. But boy, in the next few weeks, all of a sudden, something's going to happen. The trees start budding. The grass starts turning. And man, you can just feel summer's coming. I've never heard somebody go, hey, summer's not coming this year. You go, well, no, the, the, the trees are budding. The grass is budding. It, it's preaching to us. He said, just as that preaches, do you likewise, when you see Israel made a nation and you see Jerusalem one back, you can see something and you can know something. Watch how he words this. He says in verse 30, when they now shoot forth, you can see and know of your own selves that summer or harvest is nigh at hand. The whole purpose of this is in verse 31. Likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. He's giving you information so you can know this. Not wonder, not sense, not perceive. He's giving you information so you can know the kingdom's nigh at hand. Now, why would that be a big deal? It'd be a big deal if you thought the Lord was coming tomorrow. I would hope you're kinder tonight. Am I in the right room? Did I, miss a, did I miss a turn there? No. If you thought the Lord was coming tomorrow, you'd be sweeter to people. You'd be kinder to people. You'd, you'd live holy. There'd be a lot of change. Unless you were just an idiot and you were brazen and haughty and go, He's coming tomorrow. Whatever. No. If you thought Jesus was coming tomorrow, it's going to make you make some changes tonight. So Jesus is saying this so you could see this and you could know this. Knowing it, not wondering. Kenneth Hagin prophesied that right before the coming of the Lord, there'd be a spirit of seeing and knowing on the church. Where's that from? That verse right there. So there'd be an attitude on the church to where we can see and know supernaturally. If you know, Right now in your spirit, I don't even need signs about the coming of the Lord. I have a witness in my spirit that Jesus is about to come back. And that produces a joy, that produces a strength, that produces an excitement. All of a sudden, I'm going to see the one that was beaten for me. I'm going to see the one that gave his life for me. I'm going to see the one that all of a sudden life entered into him and he was raised from the dead. I'm going to physically stand right before him. I'm going to see those eyes that radiate the love of God. And I'm going to see my God face to face. And my friend, we're it. Tag, you're it. You're the generation. So look at the next verse. You ready for the next verse? This is the kicker too. Verse 32. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all is fulfilled. Wow. The generations these Israel made a nation and Jerusalem one back. That's wild. So we're it. Now I got about 50 signs. That's two. One was that men will be lovers themselves. We have selfie sticks. So that's a pretty big sign right there. Uh, going through a bunch more of them, the Bible talks about Ezekiel prophesied that there'd be fish in the Dead Sea. This last year, you had fish showing up in the Dead Sea. First time ever. Not in 2,000 years, ever. Fish in the Dead Sea. You had the red heifer that was born on the land. You have the, the, the Temple Mount Institute that's ready to have sacrifices. They're in position. They, they dedicated the altar this last April and didn't get arrested. Last year they got arrested. So they're ready to have sacrifices. You have uh, all of the things. You have the Hebrew language restored. You have the Ethiopian Jews brought back. You got the fertility of the land of Israel. You got the revival of the Roman Empire. All these things that God said, this is what you'd see right before the Messiah comes. They've all happened in our lifetime. So, man, we need to be thumping each other. Jesus is about to come back. All it does to you and I means that I don't fit church into my life. It is my life. Because in the past, it's been kind of casual, like, hey, I know the Lord's coming back. Well, if you knew He's coming back real soon, there would be an intensity in your life. Amen? Your walk would get altered knowing you're about to see Him. Just like in a marriage, your, your relationship gets altered the closer you get to the marriage. You get more and more excited. I've never seen somebody right up to the wedding, well, I'm, I'm, I'm bailing now. No, you don't, you don't bail now. Think of the week of your wedding. You just all of a sudden you had supernatural depression come over you. No, supernatural excitement. We used to say another one bites the dust, but it's not another one bites the dust. Come on. 
You get happy that week. You get joyful that week. It's a busy week, but there's, there's an expectation. It's the same thing about seeing Jesus. He wants you happy. He wants you expectant. Come on. So all of these things are amazing. One of the ones that we get into sometimes is the one about Kenneth Hagin. This one is crazy. I know you know it, but uh, in 1917, Allenby flew into Israel, an Australian general. Okay, He flies into Israel. They passed out leaflets everywhere, and it said, uh, Allenby's coming, Allenby's coming. They didn't even know his name in Arabic meant a prophet sent from God to deliver you your land. How perfect's that? So Allenby flies into Jerusalem. Well, they didn't fire a shot. They just gave the land over to him, and that's where the Balfour Declaration came from. England said, okay, Israel, you got your land. This is all stuff that's amazing. So in 1917, something happened to the church. Kenneth Hagin was born. The Lord appeared to his mother, told him to name him John. And she said, I don't like the name John, I'm going to name him Kenneth. Don't you like that? Arguing with Jesus. <laughs> so she names him Kenneth. But you know what Hagen means in the Hebrew? One to go before to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. The exact definition of John the Baptist. Jesus told his mother that, that Brother Hagen would have a part in getting the earth ready for the second coming. Not everything, but a part. How did he do that? Sowing the word, sowing the word, sowing the word. I heard Kenneth Hagen in 1970 in Shreveport, Louisiana, sowing the word. Simplistic message. Didn't wow me at all. He sat there with just like this. Turn your Bibles to Mark 11, 23, 24. Didn't even move. As a, as a kid, I thought, you know, this is not zip and doodah. This is just basic. But him sowing the word. No fanfare whatsoever. No fanfare, no Elvis. Sowing the word, sowing the word, sowing the word. And, and reach the whole world. I preached in Ramah, Australia. Ramah, Philippines. Ramah, Norway. Ramah, Nice. Ramah, Paris. Ramah, Germany. Six different Ramah, Germanys. Ramah, Italy. Name a country that Brother Hagen's ministry hasn't gotten to with the word. Pretty amazing. I said at the first service, you know, there's a woman in Mark Brzee's church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's the church that I attend. She had died last year or two years ago, and they brought her back with defibrillators. And she's up in heaven talking to Jesus, and she saw Kenneth Hagin. She said, look, there's Kenneth Hagin. And she said, and, brother, and the Jesus said, oh, you mean John? And corrected her. So, so if your name's supposed to be John, it's supposed to be John, all right? So we have this, uh, we have this, this in our lifetime, all of these verses come into pass. I mean, it's pretty crazy. So, so privileged are we that what God said years ago, you're living in a time when they'd come to pass. Remember Jesus when he was teaching the Pharisees and then when he was teaching the crowd, the only time he ever rebuked the crowd was over not knowing the times. He said, you can tell what the weather's going to be, but you don't know your hour, your visitation. He rebuked the Pharisees over and over and over again. But the crowd, that's the only time he rebuked them. He said, you should know what time it is. So it would be just like the early church. I've got to grab some water, sorry. <coughs> it would be just like, thank you, sir. It'd be just like the early church. You should have had Matthew. You should have had Mark. You should have had Luke out there going, click, 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 click. All these verses are coming to pass. He'd be born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. He'd be preceded by a messenger. He would enter into Jerusalem on a colt. They'd gamble over his robe. He'd wear a crown of thorns. They should have gone, all these verses about him. They should have checked them off their list. Just like we get to check them off our list right now. All these verses are coming to pass about our God coming to the earth. How cool is that? So I want to go a little further today. Thank God my throat is good. So go over to 1 Thessalonians, and let's get into the next event for our lives so that we can do exactly what Paul said here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He's going to give us the reason he talked about this. Now, Thessalonians, this is the first letter written to the church. Guess what the theme of it was? By the Holy Ghost through Paul, the theme of it to the church was the coming of the Lord. 
Paul said in Second Thessalonians, he, t- he said, I told you these things while I was with you. The two weeks he was with them, guess what he taught on? The rapture, the Antichrist, and the second coming. So obviously, even at the early church, he, God wanted them to know what's going on. Because when you know what's going on, you'll change the way you behave. Well, that went over real good. Good night, everybody. Drive safely. Come on. Start the car. I'll be right there. No, if, if, you, if you knew how close you were to meeting the Lord, you'd you, you change your behavior. Am I in the right room? Come on, amen. So let's look at this next event for our lives. What a wonderful thing to know what's on the calendar for you and I. Okay, so the rapture of the church is signless. But the second coming has sign after sign after sign. We just went through some of those signs. We didn't go through all the signals. You had blood red moons on Passover and Tabernacles, four in a row. You had the Bethlehem star. You had all these things that you went from signs to signals, which are remarkable. I don't have time to go through all that, but I mean, you're, you're living when all of it's come to pass. So the next event for you and I is the rapture of the church. That's about seven or eight years before the second coming. So if you see all the signs of the second coming, you know the rapture is even closer. Wow. So go to 1 Thessalonians, grab your Bibles there, and run over to 1 Thessalonians and go to chapter 4. <coughs> and we'll start in verse 13. Verse 13 of chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So he's writing this to us, so we'll be happy and hopeful. So the coming of the Lord is to make you happy and hopeful. Isn't that cool? I've talked about it. I had a guy tell me one time, a famous evangelist said, Joe, if you preach on the coming of the Lord, you'll just get everybody's hopes up. I was like, that's exactly right. The Bible says the rapture is the hope that purifies us, even as we're pure. So watch what Paul says here in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or perceive them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the rapture of the church is to bring us comfort that we don't have to be here during the tribulation. And Paul even got into great detail saying, hey, don't worry, the Antichrist can't even come on the scene until the church departs. He says, you have so much power and you have so much authority that that's why you have to be taken off the earth. You can't have the Christ and the Antichrist here at the same time. The Bible calls you Christ. You're his body. So the church departs and the Antichrist gets to be revealed and does what it's supposed to do. Amazing. So we're, we're seeing this event called the rapture. How, is, I know it's bizarre to talk about it, but this is the event where all of a sudden we're going to get brand new bodies. Glory to God. Never to gain weight again. Come on, never get tired again. I said at first service, my weight is perfect, but my height is not perfect. I am, I, if I was 6'4", everything would be perfect. So all of a sudden, uh, the stain of Adam is going to be taken off of us. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians. He said, this mortal has to put on immortality. So at the rapture of the church, you get a brand new body and we go up. We go to the reward seat of Christ and, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. So you have an appointment to be at. That's why you can't be here during that seven-year period. Because that seven-year period is called a time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble, not the church's trouble. So isn't it wonderful to watch the earth get ready for this seven-year period where God's going to deal with Israel, and he's going to do just like Joseph. Jesus will reveal himself to his brethren at the very end. How cool is that going to be? So you're seeing the setup for our Lord to minister to Israel. How cool is that? 
So this event's going to happen. I mean, in the old days, my mom used to scare us every night. She goes, hey, the rapture's happening tonight. And she'd have that real wild look in her face, you know. <laughs> and you go, okay, Lord, I love you. You know, you, you either respond with humility or haughtiness. And that's why that seven-year period's there for the haughty ones to go, I don't believe that. I ain't going to believe it. Well, you got asteroids hitting. you got all kinds of stuff happening. I was preaching in the Ukraine, and I was talking about one of the asteroids. It's called Wormwood. It's going to make a third of the waters radioactive. When I said Wormwood, everyone gasped. I don't know what wormwood means. In Russian, it's the word Chernobyl. So see, God's got a seven-year period for the hard-headed people that go, I don't believe that. Well, in World War II, they always said there's not an atheist in a foxhole. So there's going to be a foxhole mentality for seven years. But we get to be caught up in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So he says, for you and I to exhort one another, means to call near to God. Why would the Lord want us to do that? Because it makes you happy. It makes me happy knowing that I'm not going to be tired ever again, not gain weight ever again, and I'm going to have the glory of God uh, energizing me rather than my blood. Come on. My time on the treadmill then won't energize me. His presence will energize me. Come on. So what's the purpose of this? Remember in the Old Covenant, the seraphim, uh, we need a new body. The seraphim had two wings that covered their face, two wings that covered their feet, two wings they fly with. They're created to be at the throne of God, yet they still can't look at Him because He's so radiant. Praise God. We're going to get us a brand new body where we walk in and talk to Dad and not have our rods and our cones damaged. We can just say, hey, how are you doing? And not be blind for six months. Come on. So we have a change coming for our bodies. Always go to the Scripture because the devil's taught, especially young people, that everything's weird after we're raptured. No, if you like to play the guitar now, you'll play the guitar better then. If you like to read now, you'll read better then. Things are enhanced, not diminished. Let me say that again. The rapture of the church is not an ending, it's a beginning. You're tasting of the powers of the world to come. Come on, if, if tasting is, is enjoyable, think of a fulfillment of the power of the world to come. So don't get that thought pattern, because I hear people go, well, I don't want the rapture to come. i got so much in my heart. It's because you're going to live forever. I remember a service I was in, in in Newtown, Connecticut. I was just in Newtown a couple weeks ago, Barry and Sheila Fredericks. One of the years I was there, I was there Sunday through Wednesday, and... Uh, Wednesday night, I didn't know what to preach on, but I had an unction to play, pin the suit on the pastor. Have you ever seen that? Any Pentecostals ever seen that? That's where you bring the pastor down, and you pin $20 bills, $50 bills, $100 bills, and buy him a new suit. You know, you don't see much of that anymore, but I just had an unction to do that. We started doing that, and it was kind of cool. God had never done that before. And all of a sudden, the youth pastor came down and said, Hey, I have a check for your daughter, Lauren. My daughter does mission stuff back then. She'd been to tons of nations, so... The youth pastor goes, I got a check for your daughter. I go, well, that's well. Lauren's blessed. She's not even here. And then a guy stood up and said, hey, for the youth pastor, I have a brand new Toyota Camry. All of a sudden, people start giving stuff away in the service. One guy goes, I got a brand new washer and dryer for that couple. That couple just screamed, said, I've been believing God for a washer and dryer. So I had, it's so cool. I had a Fender Stratocaster. I said, well, I want to get involved in this. Everybody else is giving stuff away. So I, I saw this young man in the back, and he's probably about 16 or 17. I said, hey, young man, I have a Fender Stratocaster for you, brand new. Uh, an American version, not, not a Japanese version. He started screaming. He had just asked his mom the other day. She, he said, I want a fender strap. She said, we better believe God for it. Well, the, the reaper overtook the sower in that service. How cool is that? So I went to go get a cheaper guitar until I could get me another fender strap. <laughs> so I walked in the guitar store, and the Lord goes, says to me, he goes, why don't you learn how to play every instrument? You're going to live forever. 
Man, that messed with me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking right now. He's not thinking right now. So you're about to step into this eternity that you're in right now, but you're going to be in a glorified body, and you're going to have this body that, if you look at Scripture, when Jesus was raised from the dead, remember he was on the road to Emmaus, and they, they were sad? That's the first thing Jesus said. Why are you guys sad? He goes, well, they crucified my Lord. And, and so the Jesus would have kept on walking. He stayed there and ate dinner with them. And he opened up the Scripture to them, sitting right in front of them. Don't you love it? He took them through the Word. He could have said, I'm the king. Look, I'm glowing. I mean, I would have done that. I went, nah, 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 nah. I've told you I'd be raised from the dead. But he's, he's so cool. He took them through the scripture. When he's physically in front of them, took them through the word. And all of a sudden he disappeared. They said, did not our hearts burn within us the words that he spoke to us? His words are spirit, they are life. Well, they went and told their buddies. And Thomas goes, I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, don't you love it? Your best friends. I, you didn't see him. And then he goes, unless I see the hole in the side and put my finger in there, I'm not going to believe. Man, Jesus walks right through the wall. Thomas, reach hither your hand, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. That's pretty cool. So then they freaked out. <gasps> He's a spirit. No. He said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see I have. Because it is pretty cool to walk through the wall. But the first thing they thought was he's a spirit. He said, no, no, no. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. So you get an idea of what your body's going to be like. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm flesh and bone. But then the first thing he said to them, do you have any meat? He didn't say, do you have any kale? He didn't say, do you have any broccoli? He said, where's the beef? The first thing he said, talking about his glorified body, was, where's the meat? So we have this weird idea that we're going to be goofy. He, he, he was tangible. You could feel him. And yet he had an appetite. But he's still in this brand new body that's going to be so cool. Thank God we're going to be at point A to point B at the speed of thought and still be normal. Okay? We'll be able to eat meat. Glory to God. Amen. <laughs> so that's what our body is going to look like. So, so we, we, we have this weird thought pattern that once we're raptured, it's all funky. No, it's normal. Very normal. No weirdness to it whatsoever. Very, very... I mean, that is awesome to walk through the wall. I can't wait to play jokes on my buddies. Won't that be cool? And all of a sudden, just while they're, they're hanging out, you just walk through. Boo, how's it going? I love to do that anyway. <laughs> but much less having a glorified body. Amen? So we get a... So changes are coming. So that's the change that happens at the rapture. Because he, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, there are different kinds of bodies. Bodies of fish, bodies of celestial bodies, heavenly bodies. He says, we, just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we'll bear the image of the heavenly. Hallelujah. And then he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. But we shall be changed. Hallelujah. And you know the story in the 70s when all the movies were out. It kind of freaked everybody out. But this is a, a thought pattern of joy. Great expectation that we're going to be evacuated from the earth and all of a sudden right there in heaven. Amen. So the whole purpose of it is, is you need to be at the reward seat of Christ. So how exciting to know you're getting ready to go in this mistranslation. People preach it the judgment seat. It's not the judgment seat. That's not the right word. In the Greek, it's the word bima. Just like in the Olympics, when a, when a person is in the Olympics, they get up on that bima. It's the, it's the uh, reward seat. I've never seen someone in the Olympics go, I'm about to get a gold. I might even get a silver. I might get a bronze. No. They're, could you see somebody freaked out to get their medals? But in the church, people are freaked out to go to the judgment seat of Christ. Because Lucifer's taught them it's going to be scary. No, the fire's going to hit your life, and everything you've done for the Lord with the right motive is going to last forever, and you'll adorn yourself with your faithfulness. Oh, come on. You'll be able to look at people during the millennium and go, wow, they did the will of God. Amen. Now, this fire's going to hit your life, and what you've done for the wrong motive is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. You don't want a bonfire in heaven. 
<laughs> you know, you don't want people to go, did you see that fire? Who was that? What was that? Wow. You don't want people talking about your fire. You you be a small little bitty fire, okay? You want gold, silver, and precious stones. I mean, gold's your devotional life. How much you tell the Lord you love Him. Silver, the Bible says, the tongue of the just is choice silver. See, of all these things, you, your words should encourage, not discourage. And see, you'll, you'll adorn yourself just like in the military with your faithfulness. A general, he has badges of valor right here. He has stars on him. I've never seen a general on an airplane go, Hey, I was faithful! I was faithful! Check it out! No. He doesn't have to tell you he is faithful. His uniform preaches for him. So you want to make sure during the millennium you're not wearing a Speedo bathing suit. <laughs> You want some robes on, okay? So right now what we're doing are putting different robes on, putting sashes on and putting little tassels. I went to church on Wednesday nights. I went to church. All these little things are going to preach for you. That's why you're going to be caught up. You've got an appointment with God, the reward seat of Christ. He loves you. He wants to reward you. In Revelations, he said, I'm coming back and I'm going to murder everybody. No. He said, that's what people preach. He said, I'm coming back and I'm going to, my reward is with me. So we're going to be caught up and go to that. Hallelujah. So let's talk about this. Let's, t- let's talk a little bit about it. In the Gospels, the Gospels only speak of the second coming. But there's one little hidden reference in the Gospels about the rapture. It's a very cool one because it gives us more insight to what the Lord thinks about the rapture. Remember in John 14, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Well, that was basically a Jewish wedding proposal. He just told his staff, Will you marry me? And I'm sure they freaked out, but that's exactly what he said. Because in the Jewish culture, a man would ask a woman to marry him. He would go back to his father's house, and his father and he would oversee the building of a, of a honeymoon suite. But the father would tell the son when the room is ready. Not the son telling the father. The father would tell the son. I interviewed all these ladies in Israel. I said, well, how would you know how close you were? Because, you know, we're taught we can't tell when the Lord's coming back. Yet in the next chapter here, he says, you're not in darkness that that day would overtake you as a thief. That day, okay? In the old covenant, Enoch was raptured. Elijah was raptured. Elijah, they knew the day he was going to be raptured. The sons of the prophets said, hey, don't you know he's going to be taken from you today? He goes, yeah, I know it. Shut up. Hold your peace. So in this Jewish wedding proposal, the woman would, she said, I, this is the ones I interviewed, uh, I, I interviewed several of them. I said, they said, we didn't want to spend money on all this perfume and then him be six months later. She said, we would wait till within a day or two, knowing that it was almost done. And what would happen was when the room would be ready, the father would tell the son, go back for your bride. And he would come with a shout running down the hill and she would come out to meet him because she was in a state of readiness knowing the room was almost done. How would she know the room was almost done? Word would get to her that the room was almost done. Well, words come to you today from Tulsa. The room's almost done. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You've, you've seen Jerusalem one back. You've seen Israel made a nation. You've seen the language restored. You've seen the Ethiopian Jews brought back. How many signs do you have to have before you realize uh, 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 it's, it's there? So we as the church have that expectancy, that excitement. We live differently. Just like in a wedding, I've said it many times. You, could you imagine your bride walking down the aisleway and you, the groom's standing there and your bride's looking like she wants to commit suicide? Well, here we go. I'm about to do it. It's not good. It's not good at all. I told mom this wasn't good, but I'm doing it. She's walking down the aisle. No, the groom wants to at least have some joy in her like he has. 
Jesus wants you to have remotely is the kind of joy that he's got right now. He's looking forward to all of a sudden assembling those that are dead in Christ. You think about every loved one that's gone home to be with the Lord. All of a sudden that one word, come up hither, come up to the throne of God. He's able to subdue even all things unto himself. All of a sudden every one of those that have gone home to be with the Lord, they're going to be reunited with their bodies. And we're going to be caught up with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You talk about a reunion. You talk about a party. Jesus is about to put a party on you ain't never seen before or even heard of. Think of the logistics of all these people up there at this one party. And what we'll be doing, we'll be celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Radical, radical, radical. So let's talk about the timing for a minute. This is so cool because we've got things that we can look at right now. Give me a couple minutes for timing and then we'll, then we'll close here in a couple minutes. How many glad you came today? How many glad you're here you're not in jail? Come on, praise the Lord. <laughs> Church is better than jail. All right. Let's talk about the timing for a second because God did some things so that we could tell how close we are. And in the Old Covenant, they called them festivals so that they were dress rehearsals for the real. Jesus went to the cross on what festival? Uh, uh, Passover. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was buried on what festival? Uh, unleavened bread. So mo- most people were on the cross longer, but Jesus had a feast to keep. And, you know, unleavened bread, they would take three pieces of bread. The middle piece, they would fold it, they would pierce it, and they would break it. He said, I am the bread of life. He's born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means home of the bread. The Palestinians moved their headquarters from Ramallah to Bethlehem, right where the home of God is. So he goes to the cross on Passover, buried on unleavened bread. The next feast is first fruits. What happened on first fruits? Jesus is raised from the dead. He fulfilled them flawlessly. The next feast is Pentecost. Fifty days from the resurrection, the Holy Spirit was poured out. So what's the next feast on the calendar to be fulfilled that hasn't been fulfilled? That's Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Gatherings. That's when the rapture will probably be. I'm not super dogmatic about it, but there's about seven or eight things about the Feast of Trumpets that points to the rapture of the church. It's just amazing that all of a sudden we're going to be caught up. You want to hear what's crazy about the Feast of Trumpets? It's in September of every year. Now, I'm not saying that we'll, uh, everyone will know this, but I, we'll be gathering, I believe. And I know exactly when it starts every September, man. I'm telling the Lord, Lord, I love you when it starts in Israel and when it finishes America. It's about a three-day period that I'm walking around with an anticipation that it could be that year. I think we'll know because he said we're not in darkness that David would overtake us as a thief. How exciting is that going to be that at the Feast of Trumpets, we're going to be caught up. There's many things that go with it. And I don't know if I want to get into it because it's so complicated. But our president's name is Trump and our vice president's name is Pence. Trumpets. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> I know it's crazy. But you, you watch. God's got a, a radical sense of humor, okay? I mean, he, just, he, has a, he likes play on words. It's just bizarre how he is. So you have Trump and Pence. You got the, literally the name of when the church will be caught up is our president and vice president right now. So it's crazy. So the timing of it, uh, it will be that fall. So how cool is that going to be? There's about seven things about it. Number one, it's the, uh, the, the pre- presentation of Jesus revealed as the king. But there's a private ceremony. We go to the private ceremony. The public ceremony is here on the earth. One of the other things that's a lot of information, but it's really cool. When Jesus said, of that day and that hour, no man knows. He was talking to Jewish boys there about the second coming, okay? Because uh, talking to the church, he said, you're not in darkness. So that day would overtake you as a thief. He was basically telling the church, though, when I'm coming back for you. And I want you to get this for a second because this is a lot of info. Okay, the Feast of Trumpets, 
was always on a new moon. It was on the 29.5th day of the month, okay? So you didn't know if it was on the 29th or on the 30th. The Sanhedrin would send two witnesses out, and when they saw the new moon, they'd say it's today. So you, that meant it was either going to be on the 29th or on the 30th. So when Jesus said of that day and that hour, no man knows, he was telling them by code, I'm coming back for you on the Feast of Trumpets. We've been taught you can't tell when the Lord's coming back, and the Lord was telling them the exact day when I'm going to come back and get you. I don't have time to go through all of it, but isn't that crazy that in the fall of some year, we're going to be coming here to church, we're going to be inviting people in. I believe it'll be a three or four day period where we're just having services. You talk about worshiping God, and we're thumping each other going, man, this could be the year, and it just seems like it is the year, and all of a sudden you're going to hear, isn't that going to be crazy that you talk about a change for all of our lives. We shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Glory to God. We'll never say I'm tired again. Come on, never say I'm bored again, ever. Isn't it sad that young people have been taught it's going to be boring? It's going to be the coolest thing ever. Grab your Bibles. Turn over to Daniel. Let's get into a little bit more, then we'll close. Go to Daniel. You guys are so easy to preach to. You can preach all day, so let's, let's get you where you come back. Go to Daniel chapter 9, and let's look a little bit more. Because it's so detailed here. Gabriel is going to give Daniel some of the coolest information, probably in the scripture almost, if I can find Daniel. There we go, Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Okay, everybody everybody with me for a couple more minutes. Just hang with me because this is really cool. Gabriel is about to give Daniel some information that's some of the most flawless info in the whole Bible. He gives him the year that Jesus is going to come the first time. So watch how he does it. Really cool. Look at Daniel 9, verse 1. Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, which was the son over, I can't pronounce that, which was the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, he said, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to, to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So Daniel goes, Well, I set my face in the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So basically Daniel was like, Okay, we're in captivity for, for 70 years. Why? So he was smart enough to go back to the Bible to find out why they're in captivity. Okay? The Lord had let them go into captivity to pay the land back. God told them to let the land rest Every seven years. Plant six years, and on the seventh year, let the land rest. Guess how long they fudged and disobeyed God and planted on that seventh year? 490 years. So they owed the land back 70 years. So the Lord goes, hey, no problem. I'll let you go into captivity to pay the land back. That's how much they owed it. So see how flawless God was in the old covenant? So think of how flawless he is. Watch what Gabriel tells them in verse 23. You with me? Not one person. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Drive safely. Come on. Look at Daniel 9. Look at verse 23. Gabriel's about to give us some radical information here. Daniel 9, verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I'm come to show you your greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So he says, your 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, the Jews, and upon the holy city, Jerusalem. 70 weeks is just another way of saying 70 segments of seven or another 490 years. You guys missed it for 490. God's about to give you guys another 490. Remember Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive somebody? 70 times 7, 490 times. So Peter, Gabriel goes, hey, check this out. You guys missed it for this amount of time. God's giving you that amount of time again. Tells him what it's for. He goes on and says, 
It's upon the Jews and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, to seal the vision and prophecy, anoint the most holy. Now get ready for verse 25. This is so bizarre. He says, and Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be a certain amount of weeks. And I'm just going to add them up for you. He said, You're going to hear a commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Remember, Nehemiah was bummed out, and King Artaxerxes said, What's the deal? Nehemiah goes, Jerusalem's overthrown. So King Artaxerxes goes, No problem. I'm going to make a commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Gabriel said, When that commandment goes forth until Jesus comes, it's going to be exactly 483 years. Okay? God gave them 490. Now, hang with me. Remember, Jesus wouldn't say he's the Messiah. They said, are you the Messiah? He said, go tell him what you see and what you hear. Even when John was about to get his head cut off, he said, go ask him if he's the one. He kind of thinking, I may have missed it. John, he told John, go tell him, go tell him what you see and what you hear. But there came a time, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. They put the palm branches down. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, oh, don't, don't let them say that. They're, you're admitting you're the Messiah. He said, if they didn't say it, the rocks would cry out. Because it was exactly 483 years when that commandment came forth. But God gave them 490. Jesus came after 483. He owes them seven years of old covenant time. That's the tribulation period. He takes the church off the earth and repays them those seven years. It's not for you, it's for them. So he takes the church off the earth because we have so much authority. And then the spirit of supplication comes upon the Jews and they have 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They have a harvest that's innumerable after we're gone. Because a wonderful sign is going to happen called the rapture of the church. I don't care how sophisticated people are. When all of a sudden they see piles of clothes everywhere. Churches are empty. They're going to go, something's up. That's exactly right. Jesus came back for his church. So you're living in a compression of time when all these things are set up to happen. When you got, the Bible says the tribulation, Islam will come to the forefront. Islam flew into buildings in 9-11. You have all of this stuff happening in your lifetime. So, so it just means that there's a radical destiny on you this morning. It means that you're, you're intense to walk and do the will of God. You have a boldness to walk with God. You have an, an intention to do the, the bidding of the Father. That God's words would be your words. That his thoughts and his actions would be your thoughts and in, in, in your actions. That his deeds would be made manifest in the believer right before the coming of the Lord. So there'd be a season of what the resurrection is like. You'd see Jesus' style. His style is mercy. It's compassion. It's miracles. It's joy. It's strength. There'll be such a radical presence on the church right here before we're caught up. You'll almost think like you're in heaven already. There'll be a foretaste of it to where you'll be in your homes and it'll be hard to even get mad. You can't even work up an agitation. It'll almost be like special faith on you the whole time. And what it is is a foretaste of what your next season will be after you're caught up with Him. So enjoy it. Take, take heed to what heaven says to you. Take heed to what the Lord says to you. And say, yes, I'll, I'll have the joy of God in my home. I'll have the peace of God in my home. I'll have my children taught of the Lord. And great is their peace and undisturbed composure. And you'll see a crossover of what the heavenly realm will be, even in this realm, in this hour. And you'll, you'll see Jesus made real to you in a way like you've never seen Him before. Hallelujah. You'll sing songs like you've never sang before. You'll have joy like you've never had before. It'll be the joy of God in the church. And that'll produce such great strength. And there'll be such a great cooperation with the believer. The Lord will say it, you'll say it. The Lord will say it, you'll say it. The Lord will do it, you'll do it. Just like Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. 
Hallelujah. So great, 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 wonderful days. Great, 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 wonderful days. Amen. Glad that you're a part of it. You want everyone in your family, every one of your friends, call them in, get them in to get saved. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. We're so excited that we're about to have this wonderful change. Give us a brand new body. Father, thank you for, for these days of great change. Thank you for what you give in Life Church, Lord. These assignments for Life Church. We thank you for a season of fulfillment for Life Church. And for everyone in this room, Lord, thank you for blessing them. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen.